This is Floyd Hughes, pastor of Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. I just wanted to share about my new book, Act Like an E-Christian. The E stands for evangelical. And despite what you may have heard, evangelical Christianity has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the reason the body of Christ exists, sharing the gospel. My book, a devotional based on the book of Acts, prayerfully encourages Christ followers to return to our evangelical roots of sharing the gospel with folks in our circles of influence. It's available on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle, and you can pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Quick question. A few weeks ago, I saw this post. It might have even been like two weeks ago or whatever that someone made online about Century 3 Mall, and it was a video of how it was abandoned. It went viral. Did anyone else see that? No. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was amazing. I, I took some of the pictures of it uh, from it because I didn't know this, but originally when Century 3 Mall first opened in the mid-'70s before my time, uh, it was supposedly, I don't remember if they said this region of the United States or all over the United States but it was like the third biggest mall in either this region of the United States or all of the United States. Yeah, and the whole country. Okay, so yeah, it was huge. Um, and uh, here's the thing. Many of us, and probably many of you who have lived in this area longer than I do, have memories from Century 3 Mall, from going in and like shopping around the area and all that stuff. When I moved here, um, it was a shock to me Whenever I would go to the mall, I would see the same people just walking around. Because I didn't realize, instead of going to the track or walking outside, a lot of people would just do their walking, get their fitness, you know, tracker in thing, walking around Century 3 Mall. Because it was like layer and layer and layer and layer. It was perfect. So um, I really went for the comic book store, because I love comics, and it was right there. Um, so it was to be able to go check out the comic book store. But then especially around Christmas time, people would go. They'd have the, the, you know, the dancing and, not dancing, sorry, the singing and Christmas carols and all that stuff uh, up. So uh, I even tried to get us, uh, our Crossroads Praise team, uh, back when it was bigger than just the three of us, uh, to go there and do some songs. And they wouldn't accept our insurance because we had a rider I don't know what that means, but we had one for a million dollars. They said, well, it's got to be $2 million. And I'm like, what's a million dollars between friends? Come on, seriously. And they were like, no, we needed $2 million. So we never got to do that. But in the post I saw, people were reminiscing. Some were angry and some were like mad because it wasn't just these pictures of good stuff. It was pictures of like the roof caving in and all that kind of stuff. There was... Uh, this picture of like how it just had been left abandoned. And then one that really got people mad was uh, because of all the flooding that we experienced and most of us had to go and get water out of our basement, a lot of the water in the mall just sat there, just piling up each time the floods happened with nobody clearing it out, just doing more damage and bugs and everything. 
And people were upset about this, and I, I could understand that, because this was a place that meant a lot to a lot of people. So, so here's this. Now take that feeling. Imagine if instead of a mall, right, where people were just letting their emotions and their passions about their fond memories of it, you know, and sharing that, and how much they were in pain and anguish over seeing it like this. Instead of that, imagine it was not just a mall, but your hometown, where it had been abandoned, it had been destroyed, and you just had to sit and look at the place that you love, whether it be Jefferson Hills, Elizabeth, West Mifflin, the city of Pittsburgh, you just had to sit and look at it abandoned and destroyed and in decay, and all the fond memories you have of growing up and things you did and businesses and all that, uh, just gone. So imagine your pain, your anguish, your emotion, probably more than the pain and anguish and emotion people felt about the mall, there would be a lot more about just seeing their hometown destroyed, right? Now, here's another thing. Imagine if it didn't have to happen, right? Because there are still malls. There are lots of malls that are closed. There are still lots of malls that are open. South Hills Malls is doing good. Monroeville Mall, doing good. They're opening more stores. They still have lots of businesses and events and restaurants and all this kind of stuff, and they get packed, right? So this mall, can't blame it on malls don't work anymore because there are plenty of malls in our area that are working fine. And the same thing is true. Imagine if when you see your town or your city or your hometown destroyed or abandoned, imagine if it didn't have to happen. Worse, imagine if it was your fault because of something that you did or something that the people in that town or that city did. Because then you're not only feeling, okay, I'm feeling all the emotions at seeing my town or hometown destroyed, the house I grew up in destroyed or abandoned, but now you're feeling a little bit of guilt and anguish because you're like, I could have stopped this, right? Now here's one more imagine thing, and then we'll move on. Imagine if you told everybody in your town, hey, if we don't do something, this is going to happen. Imagine if you told all your friends every time they said we're going out shopping, you're like, hey, they have that thing you're looking for at the mall. If we don't keep going there, it's going to die. Or imagine if you told people in your town, if we don't do something, our town is going to be abandoned or destroyed. And then it happens. And then the emotion and pain that you felt. And I hear this all the time because people will post online about, I see pastors, and Mark will back this up. We both see pastors who post online about, hey, our congregation is closing, our congregation is closing for whatever reason, either because of COVID or because people aren't coming or just the older people were coming. And then once they went home to be with the Lord, there was no more. All the reasons, right? And so they have this ceremony to close it, and it's packed with people saying, why is it closing? And my response is the same every single time. Because of you. You weren't there. You coming after it closes and weeping about why did it close doesn't do anything. And, and granted, people move away. But when they're all still living there and they're like, why is it closing? It's because of you. Right? So that is what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to jump into a, a brand new book of the Bible called Lamentations. 
which is literally where one person laments over the destruction of Israel and the pain and the anguish he felt. And not only that, uh, it's more of a personal uh, reflection on it because we've, we've, we've read uh, books about that talked about the fall of Israel, but this is one person's personal reflection, not just the historical aspect, but here's the personal anguish and pain he felt. And, and whenever we start a new book, I like to give you the theme and tell you where we're going. And the whole theme, this book is only five chapters, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but the whole theme is this, that there are very real physical and spiritual consequences for our sins. When I say our sins, I'm not just talking about our individual sin, but us collectively as the body of Christ. Because this is talking about the consequences for the nation of Israel, the collective body of people, right? Now, we've read, again, multiple books that, in the Bible that talk about the fall of Jerusalem. This is one individual's uh, personal, reflective perspective, right? So it's actually considered uh, some consider it wisdom books. Some consider it more poetry because the way it's written, each chapter is 22 verses. They're written in a Jewish poetic style, right? So that may not be the flavor of a lot of people, but again, it's giving us a common theme about the fact that there are very real physical and spiritual consequences for our sins. Now, whenever we start a book of the Bible, I like to give you guys some background so we know why it's relevant to us, Okay. So while you're turning to the book of Lamentations, which is uh, right after the book of Jeremiah, which is key because although the Bible doesn't tell us who wrote it, Jewish tradition says it was written by the prophet Jeremiah. It's like the, the, the epilogue or the ending to the book of Jeremiah, right? And Jewish tradition also says that when the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, 586 B.C., that Jeremiah escaped the destruction. And he sat in a cave that's called Jeremiah's Grotto. That's what it's called now. He sat in a cave and literally watched the city burning to the ground, weeping in anguish as he looked at his like hometown being destroyed. And in fact, many of the theologians refer to him as the weeping prophet. Now, not only that, I don't know if you can see it on this picture, off to like the right, that little cave-like thing that's kind of like about midway, mid-height onto the right, uh, that's what's called Jeremiah's Grotto. That's the cave where many uh, Jewish theologians say that he sat in and watched Jerusalem burn. We may not be familiar with the cave, but we're familiar with the hill on top of the cave because the hill on top of the cave is called Golgotha or Calvary. It's where Christ was crucified. So Jeremiah spent 40 years, over 40 years, like almost 45 years, preaching to the nation of Israel saying, hey, if we don't get right, if we don't change our ways, if we don't stop our sin, God is going to destroy the city and this nation. And they didn't listen. And so he went to this cave and he wrote this just passionate outpouring about the consequences of the sin. And then several hundred years later, Jesus would be taken to the top of that hill where he would die to pay the penalty for the consequences for all of our sins. All right, so uh, I thought it appropriate that we spend some time going through this book because here's the reality. No one listened to Jeremiah. 
They, they, in fact, they didn't just not listen to him. They mocked him. They laughed at him. They made fun of him for years. All because he was preaching, we have to repent from our sins. And the same is true today. Right? This is one of the reasons, and I'm not casting shade on any one particular pastor, why a lot of pastors have stopped preaching about repentance from sin and have started preaching about whatever makes people feel good. Because no one wants to hear a message that says, you are sinful, turn from your sinful ways, and if you don't, God will judge you. No one wants to hear that. No one goes home and says, that made me feel good. Let's have soup after hearing that message, right? But that's the truth. So tradition... Um, says that Jeremiah sat there, he cried, he weeped, uh, he poured out his heart uh, in, in, in these five books, uh, excuse me, five chapters, uh, and we're going to take a look at them. But before we do, before we do, right, I want us to take a look at what happened before. Now, we're, we're not going to walk through the book of Jeremiah because it's like almost 50 chapters and that would take us forever. Down the road, we will get to it. But I just want to summarize before we get to him writing about the consequences of our sin from a personal perspective, I want to take a look at what he continually and consistently told the people over and over for 40 years. So again, while you're turning to the book of Lamentations, uh, I'm going to turn to the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 3. This is what it says. During the reign of King Hosea, the Lord said to me, and this is Jeremiah speaking, have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. And what God was saying, hey, Jeremiah, have you seen what Israel did? Because they were in what was supposed to be a covenant relationship. And God is saying, but they're committing adultery. And what he meant by that, where it says going up on every high hill, is they would go up, they would still claim to be, we're still Jewish people, we're still in a relationship with God, but then they would go up to these hills and they would build worship centers to all these false gods and worship them. And God said, you're committing adultery. Right? Uh, and then Jeremiah says this, verse 7, I thought, this is God, Jeremiah speaking to the people, God speaking through Jeremiah, I thought, God said, that after she, meaning Israel, had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. Because he's talking about how there were two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, southern kingdom, and he said, uh, I thought that her faithful sister would saw it. Um, I gave faithless Israel, northern kingdom, her certificate of divorce, sent her away because of her adulteries. And he's saying, hey, I let the northern kingdom fall. I said, okay, you don't want to be in a relationship with me? We are divorced. God stepped back and said, you want to go and do all this other worship? Fine, have at it. And allowed the Assyrians to come in and they destroyed the northern kingdom. And he says, I thought that the southern kingdom, her sister, when they saw it, they would be like, wow, that's harsh. We don't want that to happen to us, so we're going to get right. But they didn't. It's kind of like if you have children, uh, and this, this is literally what happened to me. Like my, my brother ran with the wrong crowd, almost got sent to prison, right? But my mom made a deal with the judge. Hey, if you don't send him to prison, I will send him to live with her older son, older brother, and, and, and make sure that he never gets in trouble again, that he's disciplined, all that stuff. And the judge said, okay. And so she, she sent him to live with her oldest son. Now, her expectation 
was me seeing that, that I wouldn't make the same mistakes. That's the same thing God was saying. I expect that if you see what happened to Israel, that you, Judah, wouldn't make the same mistakes. And when I started to make the same mistakes and run with the same crowd that my brother did, she sat me down, had a good talking to, and said, this is where you're going to end up if you don't get right. And this is what Jeremiah is pleading with the people of Israel. You're going to end up like the northern kingdom, destroyed, if you don't get right. Okay? Then he says this, verse four, uh, chapter 4, and this is God speaking again. If you, Israel, will return... Then return to me, declares the Lord, if you put your detestable idols out of my sight and no longer go, go astray. And if in truthful, just, and righteous way you swear, as surely as the Lord lives, then the nations will invoke blessings by him, and in him they will boast. He's like, hey, basically says, stop worshiping the false idols, and I'm going to bless you amongst the nations. You'll be more blessed than all the other nations on the planet. And I don't know about you, but I would rather get the blessings of God than the spankings of God, because I'm assuming God's spankings are pretty harsh, right? So I would rather, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do what God says, but that is not the path that they chose. Jeremiah chapter 5 says this, but these people have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say to themselves, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives autumn and spring rains and season, who assures us of the regular weeks of harvest. Your wrongdoings have kept these things away. Your sins have deprived you of good. And again, the people didn't want to hear the fact that God was saying, this is your fault. Your sins are the cause of this. And the same is true today. If you look at the condition of the church, the body of Christ as a whole, the people don't want to hear that we have sinned, that we're doing things that are apart from God. They want to hear, tell me how I can, you know, be more happy. Tell me how I can be more blessed. Tell me that God wants to pour out. Tell me that I, I am more than enough, that I'm good enough, that I'm loved. And all that is true, but also true is that there are very real consequences for our sins. And here's the thing. Uh, God then says this, because think about this, think about this. If you had an employee, right, or several employees who you hired at your company to work for you, and you paid them a good wage, a, a really good wage, you took care of them, you loved on them, but then the only thing they did was promote the business of your competitor, which is what the church is doing if we're not promoting the things of God, if we're out promoting the things of the world, then we're promoting the things of God's competitor, really God's enemy. If you had an employee that did that, what would you do to them? You'd fire them. You'd be done with them. And this is what God says uh, through Jeremiah to the nation of Israel. He says, if you, the people of Israel, if they've, they've grown fat and sleek, their evil deeds have no limit. They do not seek justice. They do not promote the cause of the fatherless. They do not defend the just cause of the poor. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? And over and over and over again, Jeremiah pleads with them. 
He begs with them for four decades, over four decades, using examples, using, it would be the equivalent of the churches that like to use music, sound, lights, videos, whatever, uh, uh, live streaming stuff, uh, TikTok videos, whatever, to say, hey, we, the church, the body of Christ, we have got to get right with God because there are very real consequences for our sin. But the people didn't listen. And so what Jeremiah then records for us, and this is the historical part, is what happened. He says, so in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. They encamped outside the city, and they built siege works all around it, and the city was kept under siege until the eleventh year. So from the ninth year to the eleventh year, almost two full years, a city was under siege. And we don't fight wars that day, that way today, but what that meant is they encamped around the city and basically cut off any supplies coming in at all. And the way that that would work is if your city had enough supplies to outlast the enemy, you were good. They would end up like, okay, we can't do this. Uh, We just got to go home. We're not going to win this fight. And then you won. But if your enemy that surrounded you had more supplies, then your people would die of starvation until they gave up. And this, again, this is the historical part that, that Jeremiah provides. I'm going to show you, and we'll, we'll talk about more about this when we get to that chapter, but he, re, he captures more of the personal pain and anguish of this siege in Lamentations chapter 4. He says, because of thirst, this is during the siege, uh, the infant's tongue sticks to the root of its mouth. Now, historically, I believe they still had access to water, but not much, but Babies need milk. And once all the animals died, they weren't getting it. He said, the children brag for bed, but no one gives it to them. Those who once ate delicacies are destitute in the streets. Those brought up in royal purple now lie on ash heaps, because it doesn't matter how much money you have, when there's no food, there's no food. It's not like I have enough money that I can buy food for me, all of you are going to starve. There's nowhere to buy it from. And this is how harsh it got. It got real. Those killed by the sword are better off than those who die of famine. Racked with hunger, they waste away from lack of food from the field. With their own hands, compassionate women have cooked their own children who became their food when my people were destroyed. That's how harsh it got. The Lord has given full vent to his wrath. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion that consumed her foundations. And again, from Jeremiah's perspective, he's saying, hey, this didn't have to happen. Because for 40 years, he was telling the people, this is what it will come to if we don't get right with God. And again, there are very real physical and spiritual consequences to our sins, okay? Very real. So then uh, this is also what happened uh, uh, back in Jeremiah. Um, uh, There at Riblah, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. He also killed all the officials of Judah 
Then he put out Zedekiah's eyes. And when it says all the officials of Judah, don't just think like, you know, the, uh, it was all of them. It was if you were, uh, worked in any official capacity, you were killed. And when it says killed all the officials of Judah, your family members were killed. All of them. So think of senators, congressmen, uh, people in charge of official committees, judges, all of them killed. And then he went on, it says this, it says, on the 10th day of the fifth month in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, commander of the imperial guard who served the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem, and every important building he burned down. And this is what Jeremiah escaped. And this is where Jeremiah went to Jer what's called Jeremiah's grotto and sat in a cave and just anguished as he watched the city burn. And much of the anguish wasn't just the memories, this is my hometown, this is my city. Much of it was because, again, this didn't have to happen, right? The whole Babylonian army, excuse me, army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down all the walls around Jerusalem and then, of those still in the city, he took the officer in charge of the fighting men, seven royal soldiers, the secretary who was chief officer in charge of conscripting the people of the land, 60 of whom were found in the city, and Nebuzaradan, the commander, took them all, brought them to the king of Babylon at Ribla, there at Ribla, in the land of Hamath, the king had them executed. So Judah went into captivity, away from her land, and again, absolutely none of this had to happen if the people had just said, you know what, let's just get right with God. And we're not even talking about people that don't know God. We're talking about the people who claimed to love him, claimed to be in a relationship with him, and claimed to be recipients of his goodness and grace. All right, so first couple of verses we're going to go through uh, from the book of Lamentations. And it starts off like this. Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1 says, How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. That word slave is a different word than the word we've typically seen in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That word slave we've seen in those passages was a Hebrew word that meant bondservant. This is another Hebrew word that literally means a forced laborer. You're not doing it because you have to. You're doing it because if you don't, someone is threatening to take your life. This is a slave. And this is what they were forced into. Chapter 2, it says, Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. And the friends that he's slyly making reference to are all the false gods that she worshipped. And the same is true for us. All those sinful things that we choose to do and we choose to put up in front of God aren't going to be there when it's time for us to pay the penalty for our sins. Verse 3 says, After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. 
All her gateways are desolate, her priests groan, her young women grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. And these things she's listing are things that, that, that the nation of Israel used to be known for, right? Her appointed festivals and feasts were the highlight of the nation and celebrated by the people. The gateways, the 12 gates and, and walls around Judah were celebrated and, and, and known and famous throughout the land. The priests were supposed to be the people of God who were known to have this intimate relationship with God and would intervene between the people and God. And truth be told, most of the priests, if you read through the book of Jeremiah, were the ones who convinced the people, we don't have to do what he says we don't have to listen to God. And the final verse is this. It says, her foes have become her masters, which is what happens with sin, right? Jesus said, you can't serve two masters because you'll love one and hate the other. So we, the church, we have to decide who is going to be our master. Whom are we going to love more? Are we going to love God? Or are we going to keep and hold on to our sins more, Right? Let me, I, I'll, I'll close with this. Uh, I'll share this story with you guys. Um, and I hope you guys can see the importance of this. And I've told you this before, that when I was in the, uh, the military, one of my first, actually, my first permanent duty station was at the Pentagon. And I worked with a guy, his name was Specialist Wilson. And one day he came down wearing his T-shirt uh, with a, a helicopter symbol on it. And it was called Air Assault because they would repel from helicopters uh, to do assault missions. And as you guys can see, I'm, I love T-shirts, and that's probably, as far as I can remember, where it started, because I was like, that is an awesome T-shirt. I want one. Where can I buy one? He said, you can't buy it. You have to go to air assault school. So I put in to go to air assault school just so I could get that T-shirt, right? Now, here's the thing. At the time, I, wasn't, I didn't know that I was afraid of heights. I had no fear of heights growing up. I'm the guy that would climb up on, you know, three-story garages and jump into trees and all that stuff had no problem. But when I got to the school, on the time it came for us to repel, they brought us out to a tower. This tower was 50 feet tall, and I looked at this tower, and it was just swaying in the wind. And I thought, oh, heck, making sure I emphasize the right word, no, I'm not doing that. I am not doing that. There's no way I'm doing that. And then, kid you not, uh, one of the instructors came up, and he was wearing that air assault T-shirt. And I was like, I want that T-shirt. So I climbed up when it was my turn, and this is about how far back we were, probably to the wall, climbed up the ladder, and there were some of us that had to wait on the ladder. They had us climb and wait until it was our turn, and I was clinging to it for dear life. When I got to the top of the platform, we had to come all the way to over here, put on a harness, turn around, and rappel 50 feet down a wall. And I got to the top, and I thought, I can definitely do this. And I stood up and started swaying with the tower, and I thought, oh, heck no. But I couldn't go back down because there were people below me, so I got down on my hands and knees and crawled to the edge. And the instructors were laughing at me. Some of the other soldiers were making fun of me. But the instructors that were standing there had on that T-shirt. And I'm like, I want that T-shirt. So I crawled to the edge. I stood up. They put on a harness. I rappelled down. And I was like, good, check that off. I'm done. And they were like, go again. And we did that all day long. 
And all day long, I climbed to the top and crawled on my hands and knees to the edge while people were making fun of me, laughing at me. And they weren't laughing like you're laughing. They were like cuss word laughing at me. And I did not care because I wanted that T-shirt. For me, getting that T-shirt was worth all the ridicule, all the laughter, the making fun of me. And when I put the thing on, I repelled down with the best of them. Just when I came up, I had to crawl over to do it. But that's what it was worth to me. And that's what we as the church, we have to decide. Is hanging on to our sins worth more than God's love? We have to decide, is it worth hanging on to, and let me put these up here really quick, is it worth hanging on to um, our sins more than the consequences for dealing with our sins? Because again, very real physical, spiritual consequences for our sin. Physical consequences that we will have to bear. Spiritual consequences, eternal separation from God. Right? And so we have to ask ourselves, is obedience to God worth more to me than like our political agendas. Which is more important? That people see me as someone who makes all these political posts or that God sees me as someone who has put him first? Right? Or is, 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 is my prejudices, we all have prejudices about certain things, is that worth more to me than the love of our Savior? than being committed and doing what he has called me to do, even if it is to go to people who don't look like me, don't think like me, uh, don't, don't vote like me, just to tell them that God loves them. And that doesn't mean I have to go to another nation. It just means that I might have to talk to the person uh, who works with me or the neighbor across the street from me or the person who's selling the groceries to me to let them know that God loves them, even though they don't look like me. Am I willing to let go of my pride? Because I let go of a lot of pride to crawl across a tower that was weighing in the wind to get a t-shirt. And truth be told, I don't know if I told you guys this before, they ran out of t-shirts. <laughs> I didn't even get a t-shirt. I still don't have that t-shirt. As I was preparing for this message earlier this week, I ordered one. It's out of stock until December. I'm not meant to have this t-shirt for some reason, but that's neither here nor there. Here's the point. We have to make a decision and say we collectively, as the church, are willing to put everything aside and be willing to put God first. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand. Uh, I've run a little long, so we're just going to uh, close with the time of prayer. I'm going to ask you guys to uh, bow your head. And before I do that, Bobby said, can we pray for her four-year-old nephew, Chase? Uh, who's getting brain surgery. So yeah, let's pray for him from uh, skidding down on his neck and causing problems with his spinal cord. Uh, and of course, uh, Stacy asked that we continue to pray for Glenn uh, and John Thornton did not ask. Um, we want to continue to pray for uh, Heidi and Denny's mom. And it's great when we come together and we lift up all these things and we pray for these people. But if we don't go out and live our lives for Christ and put him first, it means absolutely nothing. So God, yes, we do. We pray for all of these things. We pray for uh, Bobby's nephew. Uh, we pray for um, Glenn. Uh, we lift up uh, uh, Denny's mom, Heidi's mother-in-law to you. 
Uh, we pray that your hand would be upon them. We pray that you give them strength. We pray for healing for them, but we also pray for the healing that is needed within the body of Christ so that we can make the collective decision to put you first. To let go of our pride, to let go of our prejudices, to let go of our political agendas so that we can be ambassadors for the Prince of Peace and promote your agenda the love and forgiveness that you want to extend to all humanity. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.